Welcome back to another episode of In Studio Podcast. I'm your host, Quinn McFadden, and today it is an honor to introduce our guest, Professor Jeff Day, FAIA, NCARP, and Killinger Professor of Architecture and Landscape Architecture here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Within the college, Jeff teaches design studios, seminars, and workshops that explore the intersection of design conceptualization and physical construction. Today, we talk about Jeff's journey in becoming an architect, how he started UNL's Design Build Studio, FACT, and how he came about creating his own firm, Actual Architecture Company, based out of Omaha, Nebraska. We also talk about the new Attainable House exhibition that is now on display at the Nebraska History Museum. The exhibit features work from FACT's Design Build Studio and the Community and Regional Planning Programs Planning Studio. The work focuses on solutions to the housing crisis that's impacting Nebraska and other states nationwide. We invite you to visit the museum to see the ideas and research of how students, designers, planners, teachers, and stakeholders can do to combat the issues of attainable housing within Nebraska. For more information on the exhibit, or how to check out the museum, make sure to visit FACT's Instagram page at MakeFact for details on when the museum is open. Without further ado, please welcome to End Studio, Jeff Day. Yeah, thanks very much, Quinn. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here and uh, to sort of join your, your podcast and share some ideas. Excited. Perfect. Well, let's go ahead and get started. The first big thing that we want to kind of discuss and uh, showcase is coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks, student work is going to be presented at the History of Nebraska Museum mm-hmm. um, uh, here in Lincoln, Nebraska. This was a part of a studio I was a part of. Uh, we talked with, uh, for our listeners who may have heard of the episode with Wayne Morrison uh, mm-hmm. back in October, uh, this was a collaborative project that he was uh, featured in as well. And uh, we're just going to kind of dive into what that process was like, what the studio called FACT is all about. Um, and then we'll dive in and uh, get to know Jeff a little bit more uh, in the later half of this episode. So getting right uh, to it, our studio last semester focused on the idea of affordable or uh, attainable housing uh, within uh, the city of Lincoln, Omaha, and uh, the surrounding kind of metropolitan areas. And within that studio, it's something called FACT. Um, and I will shut up now uh, because Jeff can do a much better job explain what this is. But why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of a rundown um, and how FACT came about. Okay. Um, So FACT is a program that I started around the time I started teaching full-time at Nebraska. Um, And it we use the name FACT, but it's actually an acronym for Fabrication and Construction Team. Um, And I set this up as uh, an opportunity to bring uh, a variation on design build um, pedagogy to the, the College of Architecture at Nebraska. Um, I don't generally use the term design build. And in fact, that's one of the reasons I, I named this fabrication and construction um, as uh, because I was interested at the beginning in the intersection of digital fabrication and um, sort of creative practices that could, could flow from that. Um, but rather than doing, you know, projects that ended up as installations or, um, you know, small-scale prototype tests, we were interested in in engaging with actual clients and doing, you know, quote-unquote real 
projects that would be, um, you know, would have uh, the contingencies of use, budgets, and, and, a, and a range of issues. So we were trying to get out of the um, constrained world, um, a safe world of maybe the, the design studio where you can be speculative and creative, but you're not confronting with these realities. Um, and so um, it really started as a, as a, in a sense, as a variation on a design build studio. And I, for many years, I avoided using the term design build, but um, more recently, I've just sort of succumbed to that because it's sort of the more easy, more straightforward categorization. If you look at other universities, there are a lot of design build programs and what we do in fact is most similar to those. So it's the easiest way to describe it. Um, but, um, you know, we, I guess the thing to say about it in, in this sort of broad sense is that we always work on projects that have the potential to be built or are actually going to be built during the semester that we work on them. So we never do purely speculative projects. Um, for the most part, we try to be involved in projects that are being built and be engaged in the construction in one way or another. But the goal is not necessarily to do all the construction, but to um, have students engage in getting challenging and creative projects built. And that may mean uh, working with a fabricator and trying to understand how to provide the right information, the right file transfers, things like that for especially fabricator to build something rather than necessarily having the students do all the fabrication. So that's kind of a, a bit of a differentiation between some design build programs, which are really established around the notion of students designing and building at the same time and that the, the building is, is necessarily part of that. Um, the other uh, sort of common feature is that we always work with nonprofit organizations or communities. We never, we never do for-profit work. Uh, and part of that is just the ethics of having students who are paying tuition working on a for-profit project is really troublesome. So, um, you know, I think we want to always make sure that the for, the studio um, foregrounds um, the educational possibilities and the educational experience for students, but then second of all becomes a way of serving communities or nonprofit organizations. For most of the history of fact, those nonprofits have been creative organizations like um, nonprofit art centers, uh, and in particular, a lot of art residency programs where artists are actually um, producing work. And we've worked on the Bema Center for Contemporary Arts in Omaha, the uh, Salina Art Center in Kansas, um, you know, uh, Sand Hills Institute out in Western Nebraska, and a number of other projects. And some of those are long-term relationships that have gone on for years with many small projects adding up to a larger sort of collection. Um, but there's an, another sort of category of these projects, which are work that we produce in order to instigate a project that may not be built for several years after. Uh, and so last fall, we had the opportunity to work with the with sort of a project that sort of was initiated by History Nebraska, the state um, history initiative that includes the, the Nebraska History Museum in Lincoln. Um, they were hosting an exhibition, a traveling exhibition called Evicted, which was um, put together by the Eviction Lab at Princeton University and explored the nature of, of housing and specifically evic the eviction crisis around the United States. And it was actually, it was a 
designed pre-pandemic, even though the pandemic has sort of exacerbated a lot of those problems. That show was scheduled to be in Nebraska and, and ended up opening in December and closing at the end of February. And the idea originally was that we would produce some work that would be shown alongside that. And as a way to sort of move into this, we... Um, you know, we were invited to do this this exhibition, and uh, I, I decided that the maybe the most interesting way to approach this would be to have students collaborate with various nonprofits, and um, uh, you know, uh, develop housing possible you know housing prototypes that could potentially be built rather than just doing an exhibition or a speculative project for a museum to actually think of these projects as prototypical affordable or attainable houses that could be built and actually to produce construction drawings as well as exhibition material uh, from that so we ended up dividing the studio uh, into six teams and each team uh, was partnered with a different nonprofit organization, um, two in Omaha, three in Lincoln. And uh, and then the students in those teams worked closely with the, the leaders from those nonprofits to develop projects. Some of those projects are very likely to be built. Some are, you know, maybe less so, and some are very speculative and are really there to sort of push the boundaries of what's possible. And um, but in the end, all, all of them potentially could be, and we've had meetings with planners and, and, and builders and funders and other folks in order, uh, you know, for various projects along the way to, to try to realize them. Yeah, I know as a student, uh, maybe it's just because my work's being put in a museum, but I'm super excited uh, to see what it all looks like, even though that I've already seen most of the work from the reviews and so forth, but at that kind of mm -hmm. a little bit higher level uh, and sparking the interest um, of what this means in the community. I'm really excited for other students to be able to see it since we uh, kind of missed out on the opportunity with typical pinups uh, with uh, how COVID affected yeah. the college and so forth. Mm -hmm. But uh, hopefully for those students that are uh, still in Lincoln, uh, this is a great opportunity to see some other work um, when the uh, exhibition opens up here, uh, probably this week, depending on uh, how long it takes us to edit uh, and release this. So uh, uh, yeah. it, might, it may already be open, but. Yeah, well, and I should say just for your audience that, um, you know, so the show is is intended to be opening in early April, maybe the second or third week of April, um, but it'll be open until the end of the year. So it's going to be open at uh, the Nebraska History Museum on Centennial Mall until probably December of, of 2021. So, um, you know, there's no urgency to rush out and see it. I think there'll be a lot of opportunities, um, but uh but it'd be great to get a good audience um, and, and, and have students from you know this year and then students, new students coming into the university uh, in the fall could also have an opportunity to see what we've been doing. For sure. Um, so now that we've kind of touched on the big news um, for our listeners uh, in the college, one of the things that for our listeners, something to look forward to is we'll be uh, having some conversations with other students who have been involved um, in Jeff's uh Fact Studio uh, and other design build studios here in Nebraska. So you can kind of understand uh, um, all these things we just talked about uh, and how they relate to a student's experience and what it's like to be in a studio um, outside of just my opinion, uh, which is all great. Uh, but uh, we want to interview some other students as well. 
But moving into a little bit more about you, what got you interested in architecture as a career in general? Just going out on a limb, you seem very successful, um, own your own firm, multiple awards, an amazing professor, and to wind up in a place like Lincoln, just kind of, it feels like there's something missing or there's a a story to be told behind that. So uh, I'll just kind of leave it at that and uh, would you take it away? Yeah, well, there is there's a there, there's there's a story, but I think the story is primarily that circumstances takes people where they go, and it's not always something that you plan in, in advance. And I think before I moved to Nebraska, I barely knew where the place was. So, um, but yeah, I um, you know I grew up in um, in Maine, New Zealand, and a number of other places, and. Uh, from a pretty young age was interested in art and, and making things and designing things. Um, you know, I took drafting classes in junior high school, things like that. So I kind of was sort of heading in a a general direction towards architecture from a pretty early age. Um, but I ended up going to, to college as an art major and um, art and design, I guess I should say, I was in a program called visual and environmental studies and which in, uh, you know, included all of the studio art disciplines, included filmmaking and photography um, and, and environmental design, which was sort of introductory architecture and landscape architecture. Uh, and so I, I, I kind of split my time between design and sculpture um, in that program. Um, but this was at Harvard University, so that the Graduate School of Design was just down the street from um, the architecture building where, I mean, the, the, the visual environmental studies building where I studied, which was the you know, Le Corbusier design building. So it was a pretty spectacular place to study. Um, but I was always going to lectures at the GSD. So I knew I really wanted to end up going to architecture school um, for real and, um, you know, worked summers for architects and, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of experiences that kind of led in that direction. And um, after that program, I I moved to California and I I spent two years sort of working part-time for uh, an architect. Uh, It was like three days a week for an architect and two days a week for a sculptor as a studio assistant. So sort of still splitting those interests. Um, And then, uh, and that was in Northern California. And I ended up going to um, UC Berkeley for a three-year master's degree, um, uh, you know, after that, after that break. And, um, you know, worked in the Bay Area for a few years after that. I traveled for quite a long time after um, I had a, a traveling fellowship. So I traveled for over a year after graduation with my master's. Um, and then um, basically I got married to someone who lived in Omaha and taught at Creighton. And that's how I ended up moving here um, with the pot, with the option to teach too that came along at that time. So I thought this is a, a really good opportunity to start thinking about how one could practice and teach at the same time and, um, you know, have what I thought would be benefits and it turned out to be, you know, great opportunities. Um, but, uh, you know, I ended up here in Nebraska and, um, soon after that started a, a practice called Minday, which was a, a collaboration with someone I went to grad school with, um, who was my business partner at that time. And then that firm, you know, grew the two offices, one in San Francisco, one in Omaha. Um, and we, um, you know, produced quite a bit of work. And then um, in 2017, we decided to split those two offices into two separate companies. And um, so the companies now um, 
my side of that company split is now called Actual Architecture Company, um, which is solely based in Omaha. And um, yet we have projects that are, um, you know, in a, in a number of different places, um, you know, including New Zealand and Canada, um, Montana, Wyoming, a number of other locations. Um, you know, and our work um, is closely tied to the FACT studio and some, some of the FACT projects end up being um, worked on in our office as well. And some FACT projects in the early days actually started in our office and then would we'd get students involved in, in sort of latter phases of those, of those particular projects. So um, the, those two sides, the sort of teaching and the private practice sides um, merge in, in a lot of ways. For certain project types it's really interesting um and it's i definitely i've always felt personally that professors who teach and are in uh work in the profession or practice um whether it's simultaneously or uh, at certain points of their lives i've always had just something that's uh uh, their studios have been a little bit more enjoyable. Uh, maybe it's the practicality behind things um, or just the uh, uh, the more vision of the people who maybe don't see themselves in education uh, uh, that they can relate to a little bit more. But so then out of curiosity, I see this, it seems like every single week, I see something about the Wedge House um, that your firm designed, particularly the one out in New Zealand. And just out of curiosity, how did that project come to be? Um, and how did you end up kind of going down this kind of rabbit hole of, um, it seems like it's done very well as a project. Um, never would have thought that I would be uh, watching a Netflix show that featured <laughs> a project that uh, a professor of mine had worked on. And so, yeah, so that's a, that, that project has another sort of sequence or, or a history that could never really be predicted from the beginning. It sort of began as a custom home design for my mother in Maine, on the coast of Maine, um, and uh, you know, just a small wasn't a, not a, a very large house, but it was a you know smallish house um, in um, you know town where she she was living at the time. Um, we you know we went through uh, a pretty. I think we had essentially construction documents pretty much ready to go, um, but then ultimately. Um, you know, she decided that financially it didn't really make sense for her to try to sell the house she was in and build this new house. And um, she decided just to stay where she was. And so we had this design that, you know, was was not going to be built. Um, but we we had, you know, at, at that point, I just would have put it in the drawer. But then uh, we were invited by a, a startup company in Houston called Hometa. Um, Hometa. Uh, started as um, a website that would sell modern house designs um, by commissioned architects. So rather than what you kind of find online, if you look for house designs or house plans for sale, they're usually pretty schlocky or, or uh, you know, rather mundane projects. Um, the intention of this company was to actually, you know, hire, you know, um, design-oriented architects doing contemporary modern work and have them produce house plans that would be sold through their website. And they, they were very well organized um, in terms of, you know, how they handled the legal side of, of things and, uh, you know, liabilities and so on. And, and, you know, they had their own title blocks. You had to kind of convert drawings to that. Um, but we were invited to produce 
um, some some design work for this. And rather than start fresh, we went back to our sort of historical projects and we had a couple of houses, including the wedge house uh, that had never been built. And we thought, well, you know, this is a great opportunity to convert these projects into essentially a product um, that could be, um, could be built almost anywhere. Um, and so, you know, there was some conversion involved. It's not exactly the same design uh, from the site in Maine, but it's, you know, it's relatively similar. Um, and we took that and then, you know, it was on Hometa, but Hometa launched in 2009, which, you know, was the uh, Great Recession and, you know, not many people were building houses at that time. And so as a business, Hometa kind of faded away. Um, and, uh, you know, at that point we had, we had a, a, several inquiries on our projects, but we'd never sold any, any plans. So we're kind of disappointed with that. But it turns out that the Hometa website was still online. I mean, they still kept the website up, but they were not running it as a real business, um, but just letting the, the contacts to the architects still live. And uh, then in, in just out of the blue in 2017, and as someone who used to be involved in Hometa, an architect in Houston, um, contacted us and said that they had an inquiry about the wedge house and from a, a couple in New Zealand who um, were really interested in it. Um, you know, that led to a phone call with those people. Um, they were really, they really loved it. They, they told their story. They had this amazing piece of land in the South Island um, in the mountainous part of, of the South Island in New Zealand. Um, they had an architect at one point that relationship didn't work out and didn't, they didn't end up coming up with a project. Um, and so they were sort of desperate to find some other way to build a house, but uh, didn't want to go down the road of starting from zero with a, an architect. So they ended up finding this, this, this design uh, prototype. Um, and, you know, they initially had us do a test fit on the site just to make sure it kind of made sense on their property. And, you know, we did this remotely um, and then they, they purchased the plans and then sort of commissioned us to consult on the project all the way through, um, through construction. They, you know, we, we ended up partnering with a, a local architect there to sort of help um, produce a construction set that met New Zealand codes and construction systems, which are you know, relatively different from the way we do things in the U.S., uh, but um, the owners kept con consulting with us all the way through. The other thing that they had, they did early on in this project, um, I think before construction even started or right around that time, is they um, they submitted it to uh, a television a program produced in New Zealand called Grand Designs New Zealand, which is a, a sort of franchise of a, a British show called Grand Designs, um, which is a you know, a, a reality TV show, um, but it's really well done as a sort of documentary that actually foregrounds in a very positive way, the design process and the construction process. It's, it's not the kind of reality TV show that's just looking for conflicts and trying to sort of highlight, you know, arguments and fights and disasters. I mean, they, they'd certainly be happy to show those, but that's, that wasn't the goal. It's really to talk about design. So, I, you know, we thought that was great. It actually had some benefits for the owners in terms of discounts on materials, but, um, but that, uh, production company filmed the entire construction process. I mean, you know, not every day, but they would come to the site, you know, several times, um, you know, 
probably once a month, maybe to, to shoot different stages and, and definitely the major sort of milestones and exciting sort of aspects of the construction process. Um, and the host of the show was actually an architect who did some contemporary work, a really good project. So somebody really understood what, what was going on. Um, and even though it's a, you know, the budget for that show is relatively tight. They, um, they really wanted to have me come out and be on the site because they thought that would be a great experience because of the, the unique sort of story behind this project and the fact that it was, a you know, house plants found on the internet and, you know, I'm an American architect. This is a project in New Zealand. Um, so we, you know, they first filmed this on a, um, a Skype meeting that we had and they were filming, you know, both sides of, of that story. And then, um, uh, in 2019, when the house was under construction, but in, um, I think they were, you know, at the phase of starting to install drywall and, and just getting into the beginning of finishes, um, it seemed like a really good opportunity. Um, of course, that it was February, that's the summer there. Great opportunity for, for me to go there. So they had me, you know, come down to New Zealand and um, spent, um, I spent two days at the house, one just meeting with the owners and the contractor and, and then another day um, filming this, this episode um, or this piece of the episode, I should say. It's an hour long show. And then my portion of it was, you know, a, a, I don't know how long, but a, a, a certain a, a portion of that, of that show. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting process because I, you know, we think of ourselves as architects who do very unique site specific projects. And yet this project was designed for coast of Maine and here it is being built in New Zealand. Um, and yet it feels very site specific. And I, so I think that we, it's, we started to think about the, the possibilities of site specificity differently, not as something where the, you know, the site pre-exists a project and then a project emerges sort of somehow organically from that site in the kind of frankly right way, but um, instead thinking about site specificity as a kind of adjustment process from a prototype. So slight adjustments are made to the prototype to make it fit really nicely into a particular location. And that's kind of what we ended up with um, al along the way. It's really interesting to hear kind of the background behind that. And I, I, I mean this wholeheartedly, I am half as successful as you've been uh, through your career. I will be uh, satisfied. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, but other than that, I think that's kind of the big topics that we were going to touch mm -hmm. on today. Just a reminder to our listeners uh, before we kick to the outro, exhibition is going to be opening up soon. Uh, you'll have plenty of time to go and uh, check that out, but a really great opportunity to check out other student work and uh, some of the questions that are being posed with the question of, um, or the topic of attainable and affordable housing. So once again, thank you, Jeff, for taking time out of your day to come up on the, po the podcast and uh, we enjoyed having you. Yeah, thanks very much, Quinn, and uh, I, it was fun, and I, I really enjoyed talking with you, and um, look forward to, to hearing the rest of the series. Perfect. I'll see you next time, guys. Bye.